Hello and welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is Stephen Robles and joining me this week is Apple Insider writer Wes Hilliard. Hey Wes, thanks for joining me. Hi Stephen. How are you doing today? Doing well, man. You just uh, moved into the mountains, right? Yeah, I finally finished getting into this house in Tennessee and uh, it's pretty nice. That's awesome. And you know, I was in the mountains on my vacation and I don't know, it's nice to just look out there, especially uh, when you're doing some writing. Very cool. Well, let's talk about some of the iOS 14 beta updates that came out. The developer beta 3 was released this week, but not a ton of new features or changes. We did see that the music app got a new icon. It's gone to a solid red background with white notes. And so if you didn't like the previous one, you got to change here. Reminiscent of the older icon, I believe iOS 8 had that red icon with the white notes. So it seems to be returning to that. And also new music and clock widgets that you can put on your home screen, including a world clock where you can have four different times on a widget going across a a long horizontal widget or a square type widget. It would be helpful for William from across the pond. But yeah, tell me, as you've been playing with the betas, well, first of all, what devices do you have the 14 beta installed on and developer or public beta? Well, I mentioned uh, this with William last time I was on. I have betas on every uh, device that I own except for my iPad mini. So iPad Pro, uh, my Mac mini, my iPhone, and my Apple Watch all have the developer beta. And so with all those, have you been experienced any instability or any kind of workflow issues? Nothing too crazy. I've had a couple of boot loops on the iPhone so far. Nothing uh, breaking my workflows or anything. Well, let me change that actually the Siri shortcuts (laughs) changes keep messing with uh, some of my workflows so for whatever reason on iOS 14 I can't really use my iTunes shortcut that I use for generating the iTunes deals list so I've actually been doing that for my iPad mini when I'm writing that article lately that's interesting you mentioned that because you know one of my favorite features of iOS 14. Obviously the widgets are interesting. I think we still have to wait till developers get their widgets out to kind of see how powerful and and useful that can be. But shortcuts had a lot of changes, especially with different triggers. I've been playing around with time of day triggers. And so I'd set one up to go off every morning at 9am and you know notification pops up and I can run the shortcuts. So I like the new triggers, but I have noticed, like you said, some things are broken. I have one shortcut that pulls movie posters from iTunes movies, and that does not work on my iOS 14 beta while still working on my iOS 13. But on the flip side, I actually had a shortcut I was trying to build the other day. This one was a repeating shortcut to download images from a website, and the only thing different for the different image URLs was the number on the end. And so I built a shortcut to cycle through the numbers, adding one every time it repeated to download a bunch. And it kept crashing on iOS 13.6 that I have on my phone. But for some reason, iOS 14, I did it in the shortcuts on my iPad there and it did not crash. It worked fine. So hopefully by the time we actually get iOS 14 proper, it'll work all everywhere. (laughs) But yeah, it's a weird dichotomy right now trying to live in in both worlds. Have there been any other uh, widgets that you've been fond of that you put on your devices? Well, I uh, mostly enjoy the photo widget. I mean, uh, that simple little thing just cycles through your um, featured photos throughout the day. So it's kind of fun seeing what iOS deems uh, worthy of a featured photo and just how it selects it randomly. I'll see something from years ago or taken just the other day. And it's, it's just a nice little touch, like having a one of those smart 
photo frames on your desk or something. Yeah. I've also just really like how the battery widget, the single pane one, uh, displays information. I have that on the main screen on my iPhone and, uh, just, yeah, I I can already see that just widgets are going to be a huge deal for iOS 14. And I'm really excited to try some of these third party ones once they start coming out. Yeah. And I'm curious if people will go all widgets on a home screen and then just use the app library. I've heard some other tech journalists and podcasters talk about how they're going all widgets and just uh, the app library on the one side. So you think you'll do that? You think you'll go all widgets on your main home screen? When I first set this up, there were some apps you couldn't remove from the home screen. That was uh, Fitness Watch and Settings, I think. Now I'm looking at it and it looks like there's a remove icon. Yep, I can remove them now. So you can literally remove every single app from your home screen and have it stored in the app library, which honestly, if there's a widget for it, I definitely won't have the app. And for the most part, I just use search if I'm trying to find something. (laughs) Another good widget that I think uh, everyone should just use by default is the Siri suggestions widget, which is a row of two app icons that just change depending on location or whatever. That's that uh, Siri intelligence at work giving you different options. And I think that works pretty great as like a modular app widget. Okay. I'll give that one a shot. You know, when the Siri shortcut watch face came out on the Apple watch a few years ago, I tried it a couple of times, but I did not find it surfacing helpful and relevant apps and information right away. But you find this uh, Siri widget actually offering you useful things. It's uh, doing a pretty decent job. I um, generally use a lot of the same apps throughout the day, so it doesn't change too much. But I have noticed that in the afternoon, once I'm off work, my Animal Crossing uh, app that I use to track things uh, pops up in the widget because it knows that when I get off work, I do all of my Animal Crossing chores. So it's kind of funny. Okay, very good. Well, I'll try it. I'm going to put it on my iPad and uh, see how it goes. We also saw some iPhone 12 rumors come out this week. In addition to you know the announcements that supposedly might be delayed till October, some rumors even said as late as November launch of the iPhone 12, maybe it'll have 5G. We did see a photo of a braided charging cable that may be included with the iPhone 12. This is they have a white and black cable again in the braided style. If you got or have been around a new Mac Pro, this is the kind of braided cable that comes with the Mac Pro to charge the Magic Keyboard and Magic Mouse or Trackpad, whichever you get with it. So this is a kind of cable that Apple has made before, uh, but this uh, looks unique to possibly an iPhone. Uh, type cable. So uh, there'll be a link to show notes in the article if you'd like to see the pictures yourself. This seems to put yet another nail in the coffin to the possibility of a USB-C port on the iPhone 12. It looks like I might be losing that bet with Andrew. But but anyway, so that, and then also some graphical data, some assets in the iOS 14 betas seem to point to a 5.4-inch display iPhone coming with the iPhone 12 line. You'll know right now the Pro line, the iPhone 11 Pro and Pro Max is 5.8 and 6.1, I believe. And then the iPhone 11, no, I'm sorry. Is that right? Yeah, you're right. The standard iPhone 11 is a little bit bigger. So this would be a smaller iPhone, smaller than any of the available models on the 11. And so we'll see. I know there's been a lot of people that were excited for that iPhone SE 2 to come out, yet it was still not as small as they were hoping. And so it remains to be seen if this actually is going to exist or if it would be the regular or the pro model, but I'm sure there'll be a whole line of people that uh, would love to get the smallest possible version. 
Were you excited about this smaller version? Or you're a Max guy, right? Well, I previously was until I accidentally ordered the wrong phone. But That's right. I remember. Yeah, I'm kind of caught in the middle here. It depends on what they look like. Some are discussing Apple actually going a little bit taller and thinner for uh, these bigger phones uh, in the next generation. So I'm not entirely sure where I want to land, but I might stick with the standard uh, Pro model instead of the Max in the next generation. Yeah. Now, the deciding factor for me is always, is it feature parodied or not? You know, again, with the older plus phones, you had optical image stabilization. And I think there was a rumor that the Max iPhone 12 might have a LiDAR scanner and not the regular model. And for my decision making, if there's any feature that the Max has that the regular doesn't on the Pro models, I by default, I'll just get the biggest because, you know, I want the LiDAR scanner or whatever it is, whatever feature is, is launched there. But otherwise, yeah, like you said, I've been liking the the smaller size on my 11 Pro. So We'll have to see what actually uh, comes out. Real-time follow-up. The iPhone 11 is 6.1 inches, and the iPhone That's 11 right. Pro is 5.8 inches. I knew we were missing something somewhere. That's what it was. And then the Max is like 6.4. Funny thing here with the 12 series is uh, the iPhone 11 Pro that's going to be the 12 Pro is actually going to get a little bit bigger. So it's going to move from that 5.8 to 6.1 inches. And that's where all the confusion lies in trying to discuss this. It's a it's a weird little jump for them. Right. The Pro Max is a 6.5 inch display. 6.5. That's what that was close. We were all over the place. <laughs> yeah. It's again a little confusing with the naming conventions. Yeah, let us know in comments or if you want to tweet at Wes and I. Let us know what size you're most excited for or which one you would go with. If there's a 5.4 option, would you go for that smaller size, the more compact? You know, I actually had someone uh, talking about how they have an old iPhone 5 laying around. And while they have one of the newer phones, they just, they loved that size model. And I could, I could identify with that. I remember the iPhone 5 and even the 4, just the palm ability uh, was pretty incredible on those devices. What's kind of interesting too, is this 5.4 inch phone is going to be a little bit smaller than the uh, iPhone SE even. I mean, the screen on the SE is 4.7 inches, but the body having no touch ID uh, means that it's going to be just slightly smaller, I think, than the SE. So it's kind of wild that the very budget iPhone was still a little bit bigger than the uh, iPhone 11, or sorry, the iPhone 12. Right. <laughs> Again, naming can be confusing on these. So keep your eyes on appleinsider.com. We have a bunch of articles covering the different leaks and possible rumors of the iPhone 12. This episode is brought to you by Raycon. Whether you're working out, working from home, or going to the office now, everyone needs a great pair of sound-isolating earbuds. And so that's why I want you to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market. And they sound amazing, just like other top audio brands that you know. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are their best ones yet. With six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, lots of bass, and a compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. I've been using them actually here at home, and I have three kids, so there's always lots of noise going on around. I've used them on Zoom calls to listen to podcasts if I'm just working on the computer, and they do a great job of isolating that noise around you, and they sound amazing. They come with a bunch of different size tips to help you find the perfect fit for your ears, and what I love about the Raycon earbuds is they actually have a physical button on each side, and they can do different things, whether it's one tap and multiple taps or holding. You can skip forward, rewind, 
You can start Siri holding down the button, and they come with a great little charging case, easy to just throw in a bag and take wherever you go. The company was co-founded by Ray J, and celebrities like Cardi B and Brandy J.R. Smith, they all love Raycon earbuds. So I encourage you, check out a pair. Don't spend hundreds of dollars on a new pair of wireless earbuds. Check out the Raycons, and you can see how good they sound. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash Apple Insider. That's buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash Apple Insider for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Raycon for sponsoring this show. Now, you had a couple articles come out this week, and I just like to talk about kind of security in general, but the news bits is one, Amazon Alexa will soon be able to control some iPhone and iPad apps, presumably. But what this means is that Amazon is giving, I don't know if it's an API, but that Alexa can, if you ask Alexa in the Alexa app, it can pull from certain features or be able to control, start a recording in TikTok. And then it would be able to start it in that app. So again, this is much like what Siri is trying to build, what Apple's trying to build with Siri integrations and Siri shortcuts. Amazon is trying to compete and doing that with some of the Echo features. So what I'm not super clear on, and maybe you know, Wes, is it that you can go to the Echo or Amazon app and ask it to do something there and it'll then open the third-party app like TikTok? Or is it that the features will be built into apps like TikTok and there'll be a an assistant button, I guess, that you would tap and then activate it. Well, this is kind of like what Google Assistant has already done and Amazon's kind of playing catch up in this regard. Basically, right now in the Google Assistant app, you have to have it open, but you can kind of give it commands to do stuff and it'll deep link you to a different app. This is not an API for putting Alexa in apps. It's more just a deep linking from Alexa. So if you have the Alexa app open on device uh, on your iPhone with the screen on and everything can't be closed, can't be off. You can use the wake word or press a button on the screen and then give Alexa a command that will uh, open an app or give you information from a different app on your iPhone. But again, the developer has to deep link it themselves and uh, activate the skill within the app. It's not automatic. And so this is, I mean, significantly handicapped compared to the built-in assistance on these phones. Like you're saying, you know, the phone has to be unlocked and on and you have to be in the app and then you can say the wake word. So curious that they're even wanting to do this feature. I mean, for me, I rarely, if ever, open that app on my devices. You know, I have a Sonos speaker that has, you know, the Alexa built in. And so I'll talk to that here, like in the living room or whatever. But I don't typically open the app and I feel like to do to want to open it just to do a command for another app that kind of feels pretty janky and like a workaround. I'm not sure the appeal. Well, it's uh, definitely a workaround on iOS, but the feature itself actually um, is for all Alexa enabled uh, products. So if you have the Echo Buds in your ear connected to your iPhone, I think you can actually use the wake word while wearing them and still be able to navigate your phone a little bit. That's still limited again because Siri is your primary assistant when you're using the iPhone. But when you're using um, Alexa first devices or Android devices that let you set Alexa as your default assistant, you can use this as well. So Android developers will be able to take advantage of the new uh, framework as well. Okay. 
Interesting. Well, we'll cover that as it develops. And you covered Thursday morning that Instacart user data is being sold on the dark web. And so there were about 200,000 Instacart accounts that have been breached and that data is being sold out there. Uh, this does happen periodically with different services and such, but interesting the the time has been since last week's Twitter breach, which as a clarification, I think on the last episode, I said that there were some Twitter employees uh, that were bribed to offer this internal tool to hackers. While there's no source that says they were bribed, the terminology, both that we've used on appleinsider.com and other websites have said that the Twitter employees, there was a social engineering or some coercion to convince these Twitter employees to give up this internal tool to hackers and give access to these accounts. So again, unclear if there was actual financial motivation, uh, but there is some kind of coercion that happened. And it came out just this week, Mikey covered it on Apple Insider, that 36 of those Twitter accounts that were breached, the DM history was made available to the hackers. So the entire DM history and conversations from 36 of those accounts uh, were uh, are made available to hackers. And again, DMs, hopefully no one's sending super secure and sensitive information via DM, but uh, the hackers had access to that uh, in this breach. So you have the Instacart breach, you have the Twitter breach. Let me ask you, Wes, you know, with the Instacart thing specifically, is there anything me or our listeners as Instacart users should do? I mean, change the password? Is that pretty much it? Well, it's uh, not a very big kind of uh, hacker leak or whatever you want to call it. It's uh, um, very basic. It revealed the names, sometimes the addresses, uh, very little information. Last four of your credit card number. So you don't have to go cancel your cards or anything. It doesn't seem like financial data was taken. It's just uh, the username and the password is going to be the biggest uh, loser here. So if anything, uh, definitely change your password. Always have two-factor authentication on where it's available. Don't use SMS. Use a, a third-party app like Authy to get your two-factor authentication codes because SMS can also be breached, funny enough. So always fail to the most secure or however secure you want to be and uh, definitely change that password if you have an Instacart account right now. Got it. Well, I am doing that right now as we speak. And you know, also there was some news, not this week, but uh, in previous weeks about some of the security issues with TikTok, the social media app that I think every middle school and high schooler is using right now, but that TikTok was kind of snooping on your clipboard contents when you would open the app. And again, which is an issue if you have a password on your clipboard that you might have just pasted into a web browser. TikTok was snooping those things. And there was even talk from the United States government that it might ban the app from the United States because of some of those security implications. Personally, I was browsing TikTok just as seeing what was on there. And there are some funny stuff on there. But when the news came out about the clipboard snooping, I did delete it from my devices. Do you have TikTok or do you have any thoughts on that security implication? Well, I don't use the app or even go looking for those videos. Uh, a lot of people uh, find them pretty entertaining. They're funny. I've seen them posted around Twitter and whatnot, but it's not something I use. But the security implications are all there. Uh, the U.S. government's going to be worried just because servers and everything are located in China. The parent company is in China. Right. So I have seen some discussion around this, uh, nothing concrete, but it seems that the middle ground that the government is willing to fall on is that they're going to branch off the American uh, side of the TikTok users into a American uh, based company. So it'll still be TikTok. There just won't be that parent Chinese company left uh, anymore 
and uh, there'll be American servers and whatnot. So I don't think it's going to get banned. I think this compromise will work, and I think the company will definitely uh, fall to that if that's the choice they're willing to make. Well, good on you. Never being sucked into TikTok. Kudos. <laughs> it's not really my thing. I, I mean, I, I'm one of those weirdos who doesn't really use YouTube either. I, I just find other ways to get entertained, I guess. Well, not No YouTube, huh? I mean, I go there for information, but it's not something I check regularly or really oh, no, subscribe no, no. to. Yeah, I do find it interesting. Well, I think there's a whole generation of teenagers and young adults that go to YouTube as a generation would turn on the TV kind of thing. It's just they go and they kind of just see what's on. Uh, but the, yeah, I don't, I don't do that. I typically check a few channels and it's all links that I follow from other places for sure. Well, Andrew had an article that went up on appleinsider.com about some of the best mice and trackpads for using with your iPad and iPad Pro. There'll be a link in show notes to that article. You can check out his roundup. But I thought Wes and I could offer some of our favorites and what we use specifically for our devices. And I didn't put it in the notes, but for my iPad Pro... Obviously, I use the Magic Keyboard that I've mentioned before. That's kind of my on-the-go device, and I don't typically use it as a desk. Like I know you have a different setup, so we'd love to hear that in a second, but I use my Magic Keyboard everywhere. But as far as other you know, Bluetooth and uh, devices like keyboards and stuff, I have my Keychron K2, which I enjoy. I use it with my iMac mostly, but I also have it where I can pair it with my iPad if I'd like. I use a Magic Mice on my computers. With an iPad, obviously, you probably want to do the Magic Trackpad, uh, which I also have, but on a desktop, I still prefer the the mouse for some reason. I don't know if it's a uh, RSI thing or whatever, but the mouse just helps my hand better. And one keyboard I did want to point out, uh, it's not in the article, but it's one that I've used in the past and have really enjoyed, is if you're looking for a good Bluetooth keyboard that can be synced with multiple devices, I recommend the Logitech solar powered line. There's a K750 that has a number pad and a full keyboard. I believe there's also a model that does not have the number pad if you want something a little smaller. But I had good experience with these solar powered keyboards. They would last for a long, long time. You know, didn't really have to change out the batteries. It was solar powered. So as long as it's in a room that gets some sunlight during the day, uh, it was really useful and it could switch between three different devices. The keys felt great. Uh, it actually looked nice. It was white keys on a, a silver back. So it kind of has that magic keyboard feel, but yeah, really enjoyed that keyboard. And so I'll put a link in show notes to that and uh, all the devices that Andrew mentioned as well. But Wes, tell me a little about what you use because your iPad first setup. So um, at my desk, I have the Keychron K2. It's It really is just the perfect little keyboard for an iPad or a desktop setup. Uh, mechanical key switches. I use the red switches because uh, I don't want to be too loud, but the clackiness is fun, nice and comfortable. I don't use it wirelessly. There is a wireless option. I use my mouse and keyboard connected over a wire because I just don't want to deal with the Bluetooth uh, lag or disconnections that can sometimes occur, especially in non-Apple products. Uh, mouse I'm using is the Magic Trackpad 2, again, because I think a trackpad makes the most sense on an iPad. I have used Logitech uh, mice before. I don't remember the exact brand. It wasn't one of the MX Master Series, but it had about four buttons on it uh, that I could program to Siri shortcuts. So is that that's something that I've tried in the past and it's been pretty nice. I might explore again later, but right now it is just the trackpad. When I'm on the go or just, you know, going to anywhere that isn't my office desk, I'm going to stick my iPad in the uh, Magic trackpad or sorry the magic keyboard uh for ipad and uh take that around with me 
I don't like that name. Do you? The magic keyboard. <laughs> it, it doesn't. It's no. It doesn't fit. No, and because it's a case, you know, you want to say magic keyboard case, but that's not even what Apple calls it. You know, they just call it the magic keyboard, which is literally the name of another product that it sells and comes with most Macs. So, oh no, you you have to say the whole thing: magic keyboard with trackpad for iPad Pro. Oh goodness! See, <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, I liked when it had the keyboard folio or the smart keyboard folio. You know, it was long, but I was good with it, you know, because it was unique and you actually knew what people were talking about. You know, to your point, no one says the full name because no one wants to do that. So I don't know. You know, I feel like you could have done, you know, the magic, maybe not magic, maybe just like iPad trackpad keyboard or the trackpad case for iPad. I don't know. Well, they could have went with the smart naming convention that they've used for the folio case and the smart keyboard uh, that they use. They still use. Right. Um, so they could have gone some uh, like, I don't know, magic smart or just some combination or weird thing that Apple does. But uh, just calling it a magic keyboard just doesn't work. Yeah. And again, it kind of betrays the idea that it's not a case because it, it really does cover up the entire iPad. You know, it is a, a case for it. You know, just a keyboard alone would be something separate, different device. So yeah, I don't know. Like, again, with all the places that Apple has uh, advanced, its naming conventions, I think, need to need to catch up just a little bit. Right. That uh, small tangent aside, most of the time it's, it's going to be in that if I'm not at my desk. But I think there's a third option that w- is worth mentioning. The Apple Pencil, especially with Scribble now, you can basically use it as your keyboard, quote unquote anyway, because now you can write in any text field. So I found myself just going with the iPad every now and then. And if I need to do a quick text entry or a Twitter update or something, you can just write it in. It's actually a really cool little tool. And uh, the text rec- recognition is really powerful. So Yeah, and you and you tweeted about that. And I, I think I spoke about it a few episodes ago, but the recognition for the writing handwriting to text is pretty incredible. I mean, I have not good handwriting, especially on an iPad with a pencil. And I saw yours and uh, you know, no shade, no lemonade, but I think it, uh, it rivals. Oh, no, it's broken and ugly. It's terrible. <laughs> okay. The, the military uh, programs your brain to write a certain way. And it's usually with all caps. So unteaching yourself to write in lowercase letters after 10 years, you just can't do it anymore. So you end up mixing the uppercase and lowercase letters and it's all scrawl anyway it, it just it's ugly <laughs> i gotcha okay but it did it flawlessly at least from the screenshot you tweeted i mean it didn't oh, yeah. miss a letter yeah so that's that's pretty incredible now i haven't done it recently but is it just in text field like it, it seemed the last time i tried to use it that it was a little it was a little inconsistent as to when it's going to change that handwriting to text or where you could do it and so is it like whenever the keyboard pops up or, or have you found like how to activate that scribble. I haven't tried any specific tricks. It seems to kind of work if you're just holding the pencil and go to write in a field. It does seem to have a weird area that like a very specific point it wants you to start writing in. So I would say tap in the field first with your finger and then start writing to just kind of get that cursor to appear. And it might just, you know, automatically say, oh, you're writing and uh, do that way. But so far, I haven't noticed anything too crazy. It's just sometimes a little finicky on getting it to start recognizing that you're trying to write in a field instead of type in it. Right. Well, if you have not, listeners, uh, tried that Scribble feature yet, but you have an iPad with an Apple Pencil and you're down with trying those public betas, I, I recommend it. The, the Scribble feature is, is, a, is pretty wild. So I know we discussed this Last week, I talked with William a little bit about Greyhound, but he had unfortunately not seen the movie. 
But Wes had, I saw you tweet about it, and not only have you seen it and can bring that perspective, but you were literally in the Navy, and so you might have some different insights about that too. So yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the movie, how you enjoyed it, its accuracy, and what you thought. It was it was really entertaining, uh, very light on the storytelling front. Uh, a lot of people have complained that it's kind of jarring to go from this dinner scene with his wife to, oh, you're at sea now, no explanation where you're going or why, just uh, you kind of learn as you watch what is uh, exactly happening. But it's set in World War II in the Battle of the Atlantic. It's all very, it's all fictional. This uh, didn't actually happen. It's coming from the book, The Good Shepherd by C.S. Forrester. But um, I did a little research myself because I was curious. Uh, the man did his research wrote this in 1955, shortly after the uh, World War II ended, got a lot right that most people would normally miss. And uh, from the film, and Tom Hanks uh, actually wrote the screenplay himself, yeah. also seemed to have very well-researched uh, things. The If you're in the Navy today, uh, you can look at that ship and recognize most of the uh, stuff being used on board because it hasn't changed in uh, you know 50 years. You can look and see the switches and solenoids and all of the electrical equipment on the walls look ancient, but funny enough, still in use today. Um, the only difference being the uniforms they're wearing are a little dated, but it was kind of fun just seeing how this uh, ship fared um, in the seas and everything, but it was all very dramatic, and um, obviously the Germans uh, in the U-boats were a little bit uh, cartoonish, I mm. think. I've seen some people say that as well. I think it, they might have played them up a bit, but I had a lot of fun watching it, and uh, it was it was just a really well done film overall. I think the dr the drama was well done. Yeah, and I, and I love the action. I actually listened to a podcast. Uh, Conan O'Brien interviewed Tom Hanks uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think it's on the Conan Needs a Friend podcast. But he talked to Tom Hanks about it, and you know, Tom Hanks really learned a lot. I think Tom Hanks read that book and kind of made him want to uh, make a movie out of it. And so, yeah, tried to remain as, as accurate as possible. And concerning the Germans and the U-boats, a couple times in the movie, they actually get on the radio on the U.S. ship and kind of talk to the crew. Was that something that could happen back then and they you know, had to kind of change radio stations? Yeah, I mean, even today, if you have a walkie-talkie, you can sit there and just change the channels until you hear someone talking right. and then talk back because it's an open channel. Um, right. When you're at sea... Uh, you don't have a lot of options for communications, especially in the 1940s. So short distance radios uh, didn't really have a lot of frequencies you could change between. And um, the U-boats obviously were constantly looking for American chatter to interrupt and try and tease them a little bit. Gotcha. So yeah, I definitely recommend if you have not seen Greyhound yet and you have that Apple TV Plus account, check it out. It is an enjoyable watch, especially for the, you know, if you enjoy war movies, I really do. I think it's great. And now you yourself, this is not movie or tech related, but you yourself served in the Navy and you served on an, an aircraft carrier. Is that right? Yeah, I started, well, after a lot of education, um, I got to go work on a carrier for a few years, uh, USS Harry S. Truman. Uh, it's pretty wild. It's like a floating city. You have your own little commissary, multiple cafeterias, and even a few gyms to go between. Don't worry. It's not a cruise line. It's still a <laughs> ship full of wires and metal. Um, right. Very dangerous and kind of crazy but i don't know it was it was a it was a wild experience i i got to go on a full deployment over you know 5000 men on board we had the full aircraft crew and uh it was it was a interesting time in my life i i remember going topside to uh take photos and videos of the jets taking off of the flight deck using the 
steam catapults. It was, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Where it was in the Atlantic Pacific. Where were you? I was in uh, Norfolk. That's where I moved from Virginia beach. So it's uh Atlantic. Gotcha. Did you ever, I mean, I always ask this, I don't know. I just like to hear about storms and such, but did you ever encounter some serious weather or, or a storm out at sea? Well, on a carrier, um, you can't feel anything. Uh, every now and then, you you, you know, you get to rocking. And I mean, it's so unnoticeable that you don't notice that you're at sea until you try to walk on land and you realize you're picking up your feet too much because you're waiting for the boat to come up and catch you. Wow. Um, so you have that. Yeah. Your sea legs kind of take a while to go away. I've actually been on a smaller boat. So after I served on the carrier, I moved to uh, these little LCUs and you'll remember those from uh, Saving Private Ryan and stuff like that. Mm. They're the uh, little boats with the door on the front that crash into the beach and drop a door and there's a tank rolling off of it. Yeah. That's right. Yes. So um, I served on those for a few years and I was the sole electrician on board and uh, that was a blast. But those little boats are wild. And if you go in the ocean at all, it's you, waves crashing over the side and everything you'd expect from a small boat. So that was a, that was a pretty fun time too. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Actually, let me ask you this one, one final question. Do you have any other originals series that you have seen on Apple TV Plus that you've enjoyed yet? I keep asking people this because I'm I want to love the service and you know again that this at least proved that they could, you know, have a full a motion picture and it'd be pretty good. But have you found anything else that you've enjoyed on on the service? Well, I'm kind of a film movie TV nerd, so it's really hard for me to not get entertained. I have been watching that series Central Park. I love it. The music's great. It's just a lot of fun. I've always been a fan of Bob's Burgers, so that has just been a blast for me. Another one uh, I just finished was um, Trying, Trying, the uh, one where they're trying to adopt a child, and that was just a lot of fun, really funny, uh, cute little story there. So Mm. I've been enjoying Apple TV Plus programming so far. Definitely most of the content has uh, been good for me. Have you watched Defending Jacob yet? It's on my to-do list. I It's <laughs> just one of those where I know I want to pay attention, so I've set it aside for when I can actually sit down and watch it. Yeah, yes, I recommend doing that. It's, a, it's pretty deep, but it's a great show. And we'll let us know, listeners, if you found something on Apple TV Plus, or if you have comments, feedback, suggestions on anything we've covered on the Apple Insider Podcast, tweet at us, Wes and mine, Twitter handles, and email are in the show notes. You can contact us there. You can also leave a comment on the post on appleinsider.com slash podcast when it goes up. If you haven't yet, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts, if you could take a moment and do that. Don't forget to check out the other podcasts on AppleInsider.com. HomeKit Insider, Andrew O'Hara and myself are on that show and we discuss all HomeKit devices. We actually have an interesting episode coming out this coming Monday. I talked a little bit about HomeBridge and running those devices and all the HomeKit news and devices. So check it out if you have any interest in HomeKit at all or would like to get into some smart home stuff. Check out HomeKit Insider. You can search for it in any podcast app of your choice or go to appleinsider.com slash podcast and check it out there. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.